Good afternoon. Thank you so much for being with us on this Thursday afternoon. I know we have been hearing about this on the news and today is the first day where businesses will be able, if they choose, to pass the credit card surcharges onto the consumer. So any business that does that, that means consumers, anybody that pays with a credit card will be spending more. We'll have to cover those fees. So we already saw some pushback, some feedback for sure when TELUS announced it would be passing on that cost to its members, to its consumers. And this is all because of a class action lawsuit. It was a settlement over the credit card processing fees known as interchange fees. Those are the fees that are charged to retailers. So what does this look like and what might it look like in the days and weeks to come? Well, joining us to talk more about a survey they did and what they are hearing from their members is Annie Dormuth, who is the provincial director for BC in Alberta with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Thank you so much for being with us. Always great to be on the show, Jill. Well, this is certainly one that consumers, anybody that shops with a credit card or anybody that owns a business is looking at. So can you talk a little bit from the business point of view, what are businesses or how are businesses feeling about this fee or being able to pass this fee on to customers and consumers? Well, uh, definitely. I mean, this is good news for businesses. This all comes down from the uh, from kind of the result of that class action lawsuit with Visa and MasterCard. And credit card fees have been a point, I would have to say, of contention and frustration for businesses. It's important to kind of recognize that um, as a consumer, every time you use or offer a credit card at a business, it is really the merchant or the business owner that pays the fee. And that can really add up um, to a business owner's kind of bottom line, especially through these challenging uh, challenging economic times. But what our members are saying is that uh, a strong majority, uh, 80%, are definitely not going to be looking at doing this. Um, however, there is that small percentage, around uh, 20% or 1 in 5, that may consider um implementing this in their business. Um, so that's that's what we're hearing from our members right now. Um, of course, this is kind of a day one of this being an option to businesses in BC. So uh, time will tell, I would have to say, on how business, businesses implement this or even actually use it in their business. And when you talk about how these can be quite, uh, they do take a lot or, or go into the profits of businesses. Can you talk a little bit more about, about how that works? Because I think we don't often think about it. It's just so convenient to use a credit card. Certainly through the pandemic, I think people who even maybe were reluctant to use credit cards for things that were using them, we, we didn't see a lot of cash happening. But can you talk a little bit about the, the rate at which we have interchange fees in BC, in Canada, uh, and how that rate can be hurtful for businesses? Well, definitely. It can be up to, you know, nearly 3% of a surge charge for businesses. And I mean, that is a cost that they take on. Um, it's usually not a cost that they really pass down to their customers or make it very, very clear. But yeah, it's anytime you use a credit card and keep in mind, generally speaking, the more perks of that credit card, uh, the more it costs for the merchant to to accept, I would have to say, um, that credit card and and have a higher surcharge rate. So again, this is a this is going to be a new tool available to businesses. Uh, there are definitely some regulations and stipulations on it. For example, businesses, if they choose to use it or surcharge, um, they can only charge a one and a half to two and a half percent of every sale, as well as they have to make a clear communication to the consumer um, that there is a surcharge on purchases using certain credit cards. 
So when you go to the cash register or uh, or wherever you're purchasing something, there'll be a sign there. There'll be something there that will show that to, for sure, just so the customer knows this business is, in fact, pushing, putting that fee onto the consumer. That is correct. And that's, you know, that's very much in line with consumer protection laws really all across the provinces. Um, Quebec is currently the only province that does not allow surcharging, um, but definitely calling on that government to allow this option for, for consumers. And do you know then, would this be a fee, if a business does choose to pass on the fee to their customers, would this be a fee that would be at a brick and mortar store at the cash register as well as say an online purchase? Yeah, I mean, it could be available to online purchases. Um, I'm hearing reports from uh, from my colleagues um, and, you know, other other friends of mine that are already tell us has communicated to its consumers or um, customer base that they are going to be surcharging. So, I mean, this, this is going to be something I would have to say consumers may see more and more, uh, definitely perhaps from those bigger, bigger box retailers or larger companies like telecommunications and telecommunications. Do you anticipate maybe seeing businesses going back to even uh, suggesting or or promoting the use of cash or even debit cards? Well, yeah, I mean, that is something that uh, businesses may, I mean, like I said, like you said, I should say, during the pandemic, I mean, you know, the quick tap of a, of a debit or a credit card, which is all the commonplace. I mean, that that's just how it was. Cash is really, really hard to come by, I would have to say, in a lot of businesses. Um, but also, you know, maybe mindful of the consumers if, if you are, you know, doing that maybe smaller purchase, um, if you have cash or use your debit card, um, that might be, you know, think about conscious consumerism as well and helping the business owner on that front. You mentioned TELUS, and I know when TELUS put out the word to consumers that when it became doable, which is today, that the fee could be passed on, they would be doing that. And I know they got a a fair amount of negative feedback. Maybe that was just the loudest feedback. But do you think there's a difference as well in the consumer response when we're talking about a large business like TELUS as opposed to a smaller business where you know it's a small business owner that has been struggling through this pandemic and continues to struggle? Well, that definitely may be the case. Yeah, like I said, only around 20% of small businesses are really actually considering looking into it. That's not to, that's not even saying that they are going to be doing it, um, but they are considering it. So yeah, definitely um, small businesses, um, they're, they're having a really tough time right now. Only 60% of BC small businesses are back to normal sales. So there definitely could be more, perhaps more of an acceptance from our, you know, our local retailers, um, on a consumer kind of perspective to allow this type of, to accept these kind of surcharges. Do you think we're going to see a, a kind of peer pressure, though, if we have two businesses that are side by side or similar businesses and one is charging the fee and one's not? It seems like that people are going to go to the one that's not passing the fee on to consumers. Well, and I think that's exactly what our survey results do suggest. I mean, there's only a small percentage that are looking at it. And, you know, keep in mind the vast majority, 80% are not. And I think that comes down to the fact that small businesses are British Columbians as well. They're Canadians. They're also going through these challenging, um, you know, inflationary interest rate periods right now. And many are just, you know, reluctant to pass on additional costs to consumers, keeping in mind what they are also going through right now. Uh, people really enjoy, in many cases, using credit cards for the perks, whether it's a points plan or a loyalty program. A lot of people have Aeroplan cards and gather those points to travel. Do you think this will help, though, show people that that it's not... I, I think there may have been 
an assumption that it was the credit card companies that were eating those costs. Well, let's at least make it a bit more clear that it's not. It's the businesses. I think that's exactly what it's going to do. It's really going to bring that to light and kind of, um, I would have to say, make consumers more aware that there is a cost on consumer uh, on businesses uh, for taking credit cards and that it is at times very an unfair practice and a point of contention for businesses. I mean, that is why we continue to call on the federal government to live up to its 2021 uh, election promise of lowering credit card fees um, to basically kind of stop these additional costs for businesses. And that was going to be my next question is if we look at some other countries around the world, they have much lower fees compared to the Mm -hmm. fees in Canada. Would that be a better way of dealing with this? I know this is coming out of the class action lawsuit, but would a better way of dealing with this just making the fees fees lower across the board? Well, that's exactly it. And, uh, you know, it was it was an election promise made in 2021 by the current government. So still awaiting for them to release kind of legislation and details on that. And now that uh, now coming from this class action lawsuit, there may be even more pressure on the federal government to kind of, I would have to say, action that uh, election promise and just lower credit card fees altogether across the country. All right. And Annie, so just for for consumers, for people listening to this, do you think we will see or, or you said from your survey then not a huge percentage of businesses saying they're planning to charge these fees? I guess that could change if we see a few charging and that. But the big change then for consumers will be you will see these signs up if businesses are charging the fees or passing the fees on to you. That's exactly it. Um, they will have to, you know, make it known um, in their business that they are charging a surcharge fee for credit cards. So, I mean, it shouldn't uh, it shouldn't come as like a complete shock to to business. I'm sorry, to consumers. And again, um, as this is just kind of day one of this, it may pop up uh, here and there. And uh, if you have any questions, of course, you know, have those, um, I would have to say, respectful conversations uh, with the retailer, maybe get to, to just clear up any questions that the consumer may have about the extra charge. Right. Will it just come, will it show on the receipt then, the credit card fee, or what, do you know what that will look like? I have no idea. Yeah, I, I kind of think too early to tell. Maybe maybe once the Tell's monthly bills come out, it would make it a little more clear. But I do anticipate that, yeah, you know, similar how it, you know, outlines a, a kind of a liquor tax, a PST, uh, things like that, that there would be potentially um, an extra tax, percentage tax kind of laid out on the end uh, and basically receipt or invoice. Annie Dorma, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you so much for your time. Of course, always great to be on the show, Joe. And just a reminder, apologies again for everybody that didn't get through. There were a lot of people calling in as we were talking about credit card fees and today being the first day that businesses will be able to pass those charges along if they want to, if they choose to. We chatted with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business and they were saying the survey they did of their membership, not a huge number of businesses saying they were going to do this right out of the gate, but we could see that change. So I'm curious your thoughts on this. Would it make a difference to you if a business says, and they have to put it at the point of sale, should you pay with a credit card, you will have that fee passed on to you. Let me know on the buzz line, 604-331-BUZZ. That is 604-331-2899. Or you can email me, jill at cknw.com. We are now going to talk a little bit more about healthcare, specifically nursing in BC. What do we need? More nurses! When do we want it? Now! What do we need? More nurses! When do we want it? Now! 
That was from the rally held in downtown Vancouver yesterday. We touched on that during the show yesterday, but we wanted to talk a little bit more about this. So joining me to talk more about this right now is Michael Sandler. Michael Sandler is the CEO of the Nurses and Nurse Practitioners of British Columbia. Michael, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me again, Jill. It's always a pleasure to connect. Well, we heard from from some nurses and certainly from some members of the BCNU with the expansion of kind of the roles of some healthcare providers, of pharmacists being able to fill prescriptions without a doctor's appointment, of some other healthcare providers getting those expanded roles. We heard from some nurses saying they kind of felt left out of the conversation. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think I agree with those nurses. Um, I think, you know, the ministry has uh, positioned a new health human resources strategy, referred to as the HHR, uh, and there are provisions within the new strategy to address the issues that nursing is facing. We just haven't had the opportunity to be, uh, to, to be read into those changes just yet. I believe the legislation is sitting in front of Treasury waiting to be costed, so, um, you know, I, I know that those changes are coming. We just don't know exactly what they're going to look like yet. And how are things going when we talk about the crisis in healthcare? Those words are often used together. We've heard from many nurses saying that they're, they're working short-staffed. They have the patient-nurse ratio is not where it's supposed to be. How are things right now? Well, I think we can unequivocally state that things are... And, you know, slow bro. Sorry, Michael, your phone line is cutting out there. Um, can I don't know if it's where you are, if we have a bad connection. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. Oh, How's the, is this better. a better spot? Yes. Oh, okay, sorry about that. <laughs> sorry, maybe. Yeah, so I, I, yeah. I was just saying, you know, the, the, the crisis is probably as bad as it has ever been. Uh, you know, the, uh, the this is not a new phenomenon. It's been brewing for about two decades, but... COVID definitely made everything worse, and we're, we're feeling it. Nurses are feeling it for sure. We also heard from the health minister, he was talking about more spaces, more education spaces for nurses. Uh, but the B, head of the BCNU yesterday said that's all fine, but those spaces that were kind of re-announced had already been announced several months ago. Is that something or is that, obviously it's not going to solve anything within the next, uh, in the short term, but what are your thoughts on, on the fact that there will eventually be more spaces, more education spaces? Well, I think if you take a look at uh, population growth and, you know, the number of nurses per citizens within the province, you know, we're, we're not doing well compared to some of the other jurisdictions. And so any opportunity to expand uh, access to nursing school and to expand spaces to ensure that, you know, we can meet the needs of the population as we grow is obviously fundamental to addressing part of the crisis. But ultimately, that's only one piece. Other solutions include uh, coming to the table to have formal conversations about retention and to recruit back into the profession nurses that have stepped aside or nurses that are waiting on the sidelines to see how things shake out. Did a lot of nurses resign or leave the profession during the pandemic? We're just starting to get those numbers now from the regulator and from uh, uh, the Canadian Institute of Health Informatics. Uh, But anecdotally, what I can say is that, you know, we have seen an uptick in number of nurses who retired, number of nurses who are registered but aren't practicing at the moment, uh, number of nurses who have moved away from either a full-time or a part-time line to casual status and so are underutilized within the system. Uh, There has been a significant uh, number of nurses 
who have uh, changed how they engage with the system in terms of number of hours they work, where they work, et cetera. And then there has been recent surveys that are done that indicate that we are looking down um, uh, at a very significant number of nurses, uh, possibly up to 35%, who have a either very high or high intent to leave the profession entirely within the next two years. And, and that data hasn't been validated yet, but if if that's even remotely close to being accurate, uh, the system is in dire straits. 35% seems like a huge number for a system that we're already hearing from nurses saying the nurse-patient ratio is completely out of whack. Yes, you're absolutely correct, Jill. I think that would be a devastating blow to a system that is already under significant strain and portions of the system are starting to collapse. When we talk about nurse practitioners, is there would there be a desire or would it help the situation in healthcare if more registered nurses became nurse practitioners or do we need more of both? Well, we need more of uh, all four designations across the board. We need to see more licensed practical nurses. We need to see more nurses. We need to see more nurse practitioners and we need to see more registered psychiatric nurses. There are opportunities within the system to uh, align nursing practice to meet unmet needs across the spectrum. And is it, are there challenges the same as we see in other professions where people come from other countries that uh, would be a nurse or a licensed practical nurse or a nurse practitioner in that country and the qualifications don't, don't copy over? That has been a challenge in the past. We are working through that process. It's, it's referred to as the IEN or Internationally Educated Nurse Process. We're looking to streamline that process to ensure that internationally educated nurses uh, align with uh, where their practice is based on their knowledge, skills, and abilities uh, within the province. But ultimately, IENs, again, they're part of the solution. Uh, but we have to be really cognizant in a global nursing shortage. If we are recruiting nurses from other jurisdictions that are suffering similar challenges to ours and don't have the resources that we have access to, I think we're creating an inequity that we have to be very careful about. Uh, and ultimately, the number of IANs within the system is, is they're significant, but it is not the only solution that we should be looking towards to ensure that we can meet the challenges that we're facing. Uh, so what would you do or what would you suggest if you had the ear of the health minister of the provincial government and you had, say, a top three list of what could be done immediately or what are the first priorities? Well, I think the first are optimizing scope across all four of the designations. And that's really just doing more with less, right? And so, you know, taking the, taking the opportunity to ensure that we are... Um, ensuring that nurses are in practice doing the most that they can do for the patient at the time. I think the second priority is ensuring that senior leadership is embedded within the current healthcare structures, senior nursing leadership. So a provincial, uh, a provincial uh, nursing, um, P, uh, provincial nursing off, chief nursing officer, a uh, uh, provincial VP of quality nursing practice, I think we need very senior nurses within the, uh, within the system to ensure that nursing is being optimized and we are aligning the resource that is nursing with the solutions that we need to find to make sure the system works. And I think the last one is, is that we have to recognize the contribution that nurses make to the system and we have to value that appropriately. All right. Michael, thank you again so much. It's always great to have you on the program. So thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Thanks, Jill. Anytime. Take care.
Thanks so much for being with us. Well, earlier today, we found out what the B.C. government is doing to further support businesses in the food services industry, restaurants, more supports for that industry. And joining us to talk about what was announced is Ian Tostenson, president and CEO Mm -hmm. at the B.C. Restaurant and Food Services Association. Good afternoon. Hi, Jill. How are you doing? Very well. How about you? Good. Hot off the presses in Victoria and the minister made his announcement, and um, it, it, it looks really good. I, it's, it's, um, as your listeners probably know, that there was a cap put in place on third-party delivery companies, so, so like Uber and Skip the Dishes and DoorDash, that they could not charge any more than 20%. And that cap uh, ends in December on December 31st, and so the government had to deal with this. So now they just like, left it wide open and let the sort of companies do what they want, or try to guide it a bit. So what they announced today, which was which was good news for everybody, was that there's always going to be a 20% option in law for restaurants to access uh, order and delivery services through third-party apps. So they have to, by law, make that option available. And for a lot of restaurants, that's kind of all they really need is that, that basic option of 20%. It also allows the delivery companies now to be able to charge two or 3% more for maybe some additional marketing services or, you know, a couple of points more if you want more visibility on their website. Uh, so it allows them uh, some pricing uh, opportunities to drive innovation. At the same time, it protects the industry. So we've, today we've got cost certainty at a, at a price point of 20%, which is, which is pretty reasonable. And was the 20%, was that something that was agreed upon with restaurants and with the, the third-party deliveries? Or how did how was that number kind of agreed to? You know, Jill, this was an interesting process because when we brought it in, first of all, um, it was like 20% was punitive. We couldn't get the delivery companies. I mean, we were all, everybody's all over the map for the pandemic. This one, actually, we actually spent time with industry, with the delivery companies, uh, and with government and with several meetings over the last five or six months to try to get this right. And, um, and I think we did, I think we did get it right. I mean, what, what could have happened is that the government just could say, uh, we're not going to worry about this, let the free market decide. And we could have seen an elevation in costs where we couldn't have any control over them. So by law, like I said, uh, they have to provide it that 20% uh, minimum option. And the interesting when you say that, because I've heard that argument as well, that we don't really want government meddling in in these types of policies when we can kind of leave it to the free market. But would that not have worked in the sense if the fees got too high, people would just stop using them? Yeah, the problem is you've got a consumer that's really thirsty for delivery, you know, probably double the amount of sales and delivery now than it was before the pandemic. So say it was, you know, if it's 15 percent, it's probably 30, maybe 35 percent. People still are really ordering at home. The problem is, is that the um, the industry is unique. That the three companies that are providing the service basically are, it's an oligop- olig- oligopoly, and there is so much technology and investment required to get into that space. So you really can't bring in other competitors. There is a competitor in Victoria that we, we tried to help, <clears throat> a local company, and they had good rates and good service, and they eventually just went end up going bankrupt uh, about a month ago leaving, you know, quite a few number of businesses um, owing a lot of money to them uh, for uh, payments they never, never received from the third-party delivery company. So these companies are big. They're very sophisticated. The whole issue in taking orders and delivering them on time and going to apps and seeing where your food is, uh, is, is 
it is a big time game. So that's why we've got to put, I think, a few parameters in place in a free enterprise system just to make sure the oligopolistic behavior doesn't turn into sort of you know uh, abuse of power, if you will. So, but they and they're good. They good. They're good at that. I mean, the, the companies were. They were fine. Uh, I think you should be quite happy with this outcome as well. And for restaurants, can you talk a little bit more as well? I know we've touched on this in the past, but how how much of a hit is that when restaurants we know don't have huge profit margins? And I, I, I guess it's different the type of restaurant you are, but restaurants that would really be using these services or having people order for delivery, how much of a hit are they taking by having to pay these fees? Well, so twenty percent. So if you order hundred dollars, uh, it's twenty bucks to the delivery company for um, for order delivery and um, and presence on the website. Um, you know, so it depends how you look at it. Some people look at look at it as a marketing charge because they're getting visibility, and some people see it as a real charge. So they try to restaurants can do a number of things. They try to you know maybe make sure the offerings on uh, for delivery are offerings that have better margins. Um, some restaurants actually um, will, will, will price up maybe you know ten percent, twelve percent to help offset the cost, which is fair, and still be mindful of how it comes across to consumers. So there's, there's a number of ways that we can we can make this work for us and for our guests ultimately that um, seems to be working quite well. It's got to be tough, though, when you look at all of the different fees, and especially if you're looking in a city like Vancouver or in Surrey as well that has the fees. I mean, in Vancouver, not only are you paying the delivery fee, you're also paying the bag fee, you're paying the cup fee. If there's cups involved, you want to probably leave a tip as well. Now there are credit card fees that restaurants could pass on if they choose to. I mean, it it, it adds a lot, doesn't it, to to the price of things? It does, and it's annoying, and because all this stuff has to be programmed and understood and trained too. So, I maybe what's going to happen? Uh, I'm going to move into their room here, jump a second. Uh, maybe what we're going to do is uh, with the municipal elections, we'll see a different point of view in terms of how uh, municipalities um, approach their whole costing structure around this kind of stuff because it's it is much like as you say, fees for packaging and you know fees for parking and property tax and the number of things that go on. So we're going to keep working on this. Government has shown, you know, a uh, tendency to want to help us and understanding that the industry is not out of the pandemic. We've got a lot of challenges, and not not it's not wool as weak as everybody does, but we've got you know a couple hundred thousand people that we're responsible for here. So, yeah. So um, we got to work on that. We got to make the system simpler and, and more cost effective. And, and did it bring into the conversation or into account the drivers themselves or the, the people who are working for these delivery companies as far as their compensation and, and what they get paid and, and what they take away? Yeah, there is a point of view on this, and I haven't quite read it, but basically uh, it's the protection of the, uh, of the driver. The, the, um, the, the drivers don't get penalized on any sort of pricing schemes that, that develop between a restaurant and, a, um, and, the, or, and third-party delivery. So they want to make sure the drivers are, are whole. And they're talking a little bit about you know, the aspiration of maybe making gig, the gig economy a little more maybe formalized with more benefits and stuff. You're seeing companies doing that already. Uber in Canada has embraced sort of a collective mindset with their drivers and trying to add to, um, you know, uh, an enhanced sort of HR package, if you will. So it's, it's coming along. So the government did acknowledge that for sure.
Very during, we don't have drivers, we got nothing. Right. No, absolutely. And I would imagine, too, that shift when everything became takeout and delivery during the pandemic because restaurants were actually closed down for in, in-store in dining or in-house dining. Thankfully, it didn't go on for, for as long as it did in some other places. But that shift, I'm guessing it didn't come back. People grew to like the convenience and grew to enjoy doing that. Yeah. So, we, you know, we went to we went to 80 or 90 percent of our sales in the pandemic and then we we're, you know, maybe we're 30 percent now, which is maybe double what it was before. But, you know, what we've done is we've we've shown the consumer that we can deliver good taste uh, and experience. A lot of the larger companies did cocktail kits and innovations around food and wine pairings. And so we really, you know, before we just like order food and get it. Now it's like you can order an experience. And you can go to your favorite restaurant and pretty much have the same food experience that you would have if you were in the restaurant. You know, all the um, ad- advances in packaging and, you know, and it's critical having, this is another point about the delivery companies, it's important to have a, you make a delivery, you don't want to have your food out in someone's delivery car for two hours. So that having that crispness and uh, of delivery is important because, you know, the food comes to the table. It's not Uber's fault if it doesn't taste good. It's going to be the restaurant's fault. <laughs> no, that's very, very true. I had a, a friend who who uh, told quite the story about having warm sushi delivered one day, and that was not uh, was not a good thing <laughs> to have happen. Uh, no. uh, um, Ian, I just wanted to ask you quickly, I touched on this, the credit card fees as of today with companies, businesses being able to pass those along if they mm. choose to. Uh, do you think restaurants are going to do that? I don't know. I've been thinking about that. I haven't talked to anybody. So the issue is, for your listeners, is that we, we pay you know, anywhere from a point and a half to two and a half points every time there's a credit card uh, transaction. So we get charged back the restaurant. So it's a real cost, and it can add up to, you know, with credit cards, it can add up to, you know, fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 a year for a business, sometimes more. So the opportunity is to pass that on. I don't know. You know, a lot of this stuff is baked into the pricing. You just sort of look at your old model and say, okay, we're going to have to, you know, account for credit card charges here. Um, I know in San Francisco they started adding surcharges on, and people didn't like it. So they like, just give me the price. Let me just tip on the bill. But, we, you know, people still get irritated by the separation of the GST and the HST and liquor tax. I don't think that it's going to become widespread. Some people might. I think it's just going to get baked into our, our price, everyday prices. Right. which And then you run the issue. And I, I'm assuming not a lot of people are paying with cash these days. But then you have people paying with cash saying, well, hey, hold on a second. That's not fair. If I, I, was, yeah, I wasn't going to be paying this off. fee anyway. <laughs> exactly. You know that's going to happen, Joe, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, some good news then uh, for uh, restaurants that deal uh, with the delivery companies. I guess there was nothing in there. Can we st- can we do anything to stop the delivery drivers from riding on the sidewalks with their electric scooters? Yeah, I know. And then the robotics and everything else is coming, too. So there's going to be a lot of changes, for sure. <laughs> All right, Ian, thank you so much. Always great to have you on the show. Okay, Joe. Thanks so much.